Operator Syndrome, episode 60. Uh, nice number, nice round number. Um, we're, we're back to my narrative. We were talking last time with Steve about chaplain school, the, uh, the chaplain pipeline, chaplain operator pipeline. <laughs> and, and now we're back to me, uh, to, to sort of my personal story. Uh, I'm, the last one, I'm, I'm out. I ETS and I'm going to school. Um, talk about what it's like going back to school. Um, I, like I said it before, I, I decided to go to a, to a small to medium-sized Catholic university in the Midwest um, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, I remember, I remember that freeing feeling, you know, driving off post, driving up north, leaving once and for all that army experience. Um, but then it wasn't long after that that elation that I started to feel a pressure and the pressure I felt was, and you talked about it similarly. It's like, okay, well now I got to go to school mm -hmm. and am I going to do well in school? And, you know, I was like, I was very aware and sensitive to the fact that, you know, my peers, people I graduated high school with had they either were or had graduated already. So I kind of felt a little bit behind. You know, um, yeah, that that's that's sort of a self-imposed stressor. No, no one had said anything about that. In fact, I'd, I'd heard from from family friends that that was sort of nonsense, nonsensical. Um, but, mm. you know, I think that was partially just the attitude, just the general attitude that I had, you know, like in the army. In the army, doing well how to do well was normally pretty clear, right? Like you knew what ranks you had to achieve, what schools you had to go to, you know, what kind of, you know, uh, assessment grades you needed, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then now I was, it's what I had wanted, right? I, I wanted an opportunity for infinite possibility, but now I was having a little bit of trouble wrapping my head around what that actually meant. Um, and then, so trying in my head to put order to, you know, infinite possibility was something I was struggling with. Yeah. And, and nothing too bad. Just when I look back on it, I definitely didn't need to be as worried about it as I was. Um, so, uh, you know, going back to school, I was in high school. I was average student, B mm -hmm. student, probably, you know, a couple A's mostly B's, a C once in a while, a D wasn't out of the question, you know, <laughs> maybe once a year. So that's the kind of student I was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but in the process to get, I remember the, the process for applying, I, um, uh, I remember I was really worried about like my essays, you know, so I'm writing, I'm on deployment, writing co college essays, yeah. I'm on deployment, writing college essays, that last one and sending them in and all that. And I was just really concerned about, you know, okay, am I going to look smart enough? Um, I wasn't first gen a first-generation college. My, my father was in our family. He was the first generation. My mother didn't go to college. So, you know, I was like, and, and by the way, so he was also an enlisted dude who got out and then went back to school. He went back to school on the GI Bill. What the, the, the little bit that you got back in the day. And then he went back in as an officer. So, yeah, 
so for me, I still, you know, I I'd had, I had a, a role model, right. For, for the fact that it could be done. Um, but I was just, you know, again, it was the unknown. I wasn't quite sure. And I defaulted to, you know, my personality was the type to default to trying to do the absolute best I could right. to worry about and to worry about a bunch of things related to that because I wanted to do really well. Well, yeah. um, ultimately, so I, I got into the, the schools that I had wanted to get into more or less, you know, kind of what I was targeting uh, for multiple reasons um, uh, I got into. So that wasn't really that big of a deal. Um, I, I do remember the first time I met with my is it academic advisor. It's kind of like your counselor, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, just kind of like to show like that transition. I remember meeting with her and I remember being really worked up about <laughs> going to talk to her. And I remember, I remember getting dressed and I got, you know, when you're in the military, like when you wear civilian clothes for official purposes, there's almost kind of like a uniform, right? It's right. like, it's a polo or it's a button up and slacks, right? So there's even kind of a uniform for your, not when you're off doing your own thing, you know, wearing sweats right. or whatever jeans, like when you're going to go have an official sort of uh, interaction and then you're in civvies. So I remember I like <laughs> busted out a, <laughs> busted out a, uh, a collared shirt, you know, mm-hmm. buttoned down and I ironed it and I ironed my pants really well yeah to go talk to this lady <laughs> to go talk to this lady and i went in there and you know i was talking to her like you know listen i wasn't some like mindless military drone right but i was i kind of thought like she might she was kind of my boss in the situation yeah. so that <laughs> so you know I, i'm talking to her and she's very relaxed and very laid back and here i am like almost like i'm being interviewed and in fact i think i thought I knew I was accepted, but I think I thought that, um, you know, part of me doing well or something was to have like positive interaction with this lady, which, you know, you should strive for generally. But I was just very unsure of that situation. Meanwhile, like the other the other students like in and around, they're wearing sweats. They're, they're basically yeah. in like pajamas. Right. <laughs> they're going to talk to their advisor. Um, uh, I just thought that was funny. You know, that that's that's a clear example of where, you know, I was getting out of that military mindset and getting into the student mindset. Don't you think I felt the pressure? I think it's probably the same for, for you as a ranger coming, coming out of the Rangers. Everything we did, I mean, part of being an elite unit is there was always pressure to do your absolute best. You didn't want to screw anything up. And of course, some stuff was a lot of pressure not to screw up at the very base of it all is getting kicked out of the Rangers or getting or failing buds or, you know, not least getting somebody killed. Um, Right. So it it just seems like we were probably keyed up and front loaded with a lot of angst because we and I've I've always this is just one little aside, like I've always, for example, I, I hate to be late to something yeah. in fact if i'm i start sweating if it looks like i'm going to be 10 minutes early or five minutes early because i want to just have my head all together wherever i'm going whatever it is and people say man you're you're a little you're a little bit hypersensitive about this and i'm like well i know i am however you've got to remember like if we have an extraction point and we've got to make a time and we miss our extraction 
<laughs> we're on E&E. The, mm. the, the, the gravitas of that, of being late. I'm not saying that happens every day. Sure, but sure. You, it's just like pounded into you. Don't be late. And and so there's just little things like that where I think we carry. But I also think that it, even though it made us nervous and probably, you know, keyed up <laughs> to a degree, um, probably served us well, you know, most of it. <clears throat> yeah, the the... <clears throat> the you're late if you're on time thing that's still very much a problem for me i'm getting better um and in certain situations there's just there's just um in certain situations you just have to you have to you know go by what everyone else is doing otherwise you're the weirdo you know you show up to like a you know an mm. office meeting 10 minutes early especially if it's like a zoom yeah. right you join a zoom 10 minutes <laughs> you're sitting on there if you're sitting on there for like 10 minutes early someone's like why is what is this person doing right like yeah. you don't have something you need to be doing so right. so yeah no that i and that was a thing too i remember showing up crazy early for class it wasn't too long before i figured out that well the professor usually has a class before that or if it's not your professor there's another professor in there right you know in that space so i'm showing up 15 minutes early to just stand in a hallway somewhere right waiting so but yeah no that's a part of it and and you're you're what you're saying about putting pressure putting pressure on ourselves i 100 yeah. I, I i was i was defaulting to what i was used to mm-hmm. um with regard to the time hack thing though yeah it's crazy uh you know I, i'm currently responsible for for the morning like you know pack packaging up you know the precious cargo to go off to school in the morning and it's like yeah. it's stress city i'm getting so many grays trying to get this kid off to school <laughs> and every and every morning and and sometimes i gotta catch myself even because i find yeah i find that i'll take something that doesn't need i'll put time hacks to things yeah you know for an for a kid that that you don't need to just because like i want to get it i want to get the thing done and then you know i'm 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 drumming up a time hack to get it done it's like that's completely unnecessary but that's a that's a that's a that's child child raising we'll do those episodes later on We'll do those next year but so going to school um you know I, I like i said i was an average student i think more more or less i was pretty average i did graduate with honors ultimately um but, but pretty average i think I, I i pretty quickly got comfortable you know being in a classroom i didn't have i thought it would be a i i thought i was so much older than everyone in there and and ultimately I just, I got used to it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm only with, with students who are about four, four ish, four or five years behind where I was in high school. Right. So it wasn't that big of a deal. Again, it was more of kind of like a made up obstacle in my Mm -hmm. head. And, um, I never really had a problem with thinking and and you'd hear about some folks, you know, sort of from my peer group, maybe you, you saw or experienced this yourself. You know, there, sometimes folks would be like, well, these kids don't have a clue right like they don't yeah. they don't understand or they don't this or that you know I, I pretty quickly just understood that not everyone took the path i took and i certainly didn't resent anyone for that um and then at the end of the day if someone said something i didn't agree with you know i i just chalked it up to sort of ignorance if it was something that i had real world, world experience with um mm-hmm. i never re- i was not the type to sort of chime in with um, my worldly experience necessarily. Um, I did find out that 
I did figure out that at least at my university that like the the the, the professors seem to love vets, right? So yeah. like in the right context. So like sure. for 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 greasing the grades, I'd always make sure to have an interaction where that kind of slipped in, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Just because I could use all the help I could get, you know. And and I, you know, and I ended up getting some good advice from from some professors um you know they'd understand my situation it was good i i had an okay time uh i ended up studying you know uh business administration but with a focus in information systems hmm. um you know i got out you know the the, the recession of that time was 07 08 oh right? yeah it was a you big know, i was i was deplo- i was in afghanistan when sort of the 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 bigger part of that popped off so i I kind of didn't even know what happened. Yeah. You know, I went on a deployment. I was busy. I came back and everyone's saying that, you know, the economy has gone to crap and it didn't really phase me because I was in the military. My, I was still getting my paycheck. You right. know, I wasn't getting laid off anytime soon. And furthermore, I was in that training cycle mentality. So mm-hmm. I'm just focused on the next airfield seizure, right? Yeah. The next training event. Like the, where, Hey, where are we going boss? We're going to Iraq, we're going to Afghanistan. I, I could give two shits what was going on with the economy back home. I didn't yeah. own a home. I didn't own anything. It was nothing. Yeah. To me. It didn't even phase me until I got out. And so about, the, you know, when I'm going to get out, I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Um, I really had no idea. My father was a career military guy. A lot of folks in my family were career military and then they got out and did odds and ends. So I didn't have a lot of, you know, close family or friends that had, careers that i could see myself getting into i didn't want to be a cop no offense to cops no offense to firefighters i didn't want to do that i had to go back to school um i had to because i needed to take take advantage of the gi bill mm-hmm. um which is another important point when i enlisted i was one of the last groups that was still the montgomery gi bill with the mm-hmm. kicker if you wanted um right. the the post 9-11 gi bill wasn't a thing yet and you know, somewhere in the middle of my enlistment, that became a thing. And it was just like mind blowing, like mm-hmm. the, the quality of that benefit. Oh, yeah. um, you know, the Montgomery GI Bill with the kicker, which was like some extra money you paid out up front. You got a little bit extra. Right. It was it was um, it was nearly guaranteed not to pay for an entire degree. That's right. Um, it was very easy to get off track and to, to, to find yourself footing the bill yourself somehow. That's what my yep. father had to do. He had to work like he got a little bit of money from the GI Bill back in the 80s. And then he, you know, he had to figure it out the early 80s. And then he had to figure it out um, for the rest of it. But, you know, I, I was reading up on what this post 9-11 GI Bill, you know, full tuition. You got a, a stipend for books. You got a stipend for, for living expenses. Yeah. So so you got you got paid to go to school, basically. Yeah. And it was 100% for, for in-state public schools, I believe. And, yeah. and for private universities, uh, you know, I went to one. They had this thing called the Yellow Ribbon Program, which would, like the school and the, and the, and the VA or whoever it is that administers it, mm-hmm. they kind of meet halfway, and it's still paid full. So, yeah. so when I got out, I was, I was like, okay, I'm getting paid to go to school. I was living in a relatively low cost of living area. You know it well. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, well, that's all I'm just going to focus on school. So that's what I did. I treated it like a job. And maybe that was the other part where there was pressure because, you know, for me, I was like, well, I I definitely want to do well. I want to graduate. 
I want to move on, but also this is how we're paying the bills. Sure. So, um, you know, the interesting thing about that is that you only got the stipend, the living stipend while you were enrolled in class. That makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, you could do a four year degree, you know, your typical bachelor's degree on that four year timeline on a class, traditional four year timeline, taking the summers off. But you had to figure out how you're paying rent and, and feeding yourself when you're during the summers, right? During the summer. Yeah, that's my question. So so I just decided, well, I'm just going straight through. So that was my plan. Uh, I was going to do take a full course load, you know, fall, spring, summer. Uh, and I did that and I ended up graduating in three years. Um, not because I was trying to be like super motivated, but because that's how I was paying the bills. So, um, and then, and then, and then sort of a side benefit of that is you still get, it's like a count or at least it was, it was like a cat. It was like a calendar month set benefit. So, um, I did my degree in three years. That means I had a year left over. I ended up using the rest of that to get a graduate degree. So that was pretty awesome. Nice. You know, all yeah, for the, good. all for the easy, you know, uh, <clears throat> um, trade of however many deployments, yeah. <laughs> however many combat deployments. So, yeah. So s school was fine. You know, I was a married dude by that point. So, you know, I wasn't the parting type. The school I went to, Catholic University, not really the place for that anyways. Mm -hmm. um, but it was fine. I had a good time. So, and what did I learned you do for healthcare for that. Yeah. So this is, this is a good segue into the national guard piece. Ah, so, yeah. so before I got out, the, the, the national guard recruiter did a good job of scaring me about stop loss. And I signed a contract, a one year and some change contract with, uh, with a guard, um, to, um, to basically be in a non-deployable status, but, to, to, to drill for a year. And it was a money thing. It was like a bureau bureaucratic money thing. So, um, the, 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 what I saw as a benefit was, okay, I'm not going to be completely out of the military thing, even though that's what I really want, but you know, I'm an adult and maybe I just need to swallow this for a little while, but I got the healthcare because there was yeah. a, there was, there was like guard healthcare associate, which was TRICARE, a different version, right. different than like active duty TRICARE. Cause right. I'm married. I got a wife. Cool. I need to have healthcare. So no kids yet. So, um, so yeah, so I do the guard thing. Um, I said, I talked about the guard and I do have a lot to say, but you know, so from, from a practical perspective for me, um, would I do it again? I'm going to ask myself. Would I, do it again? Mm. I don't know that I would do it again. If I, if I had, if I had known that I wasn't going to get stopped bus, I don't know that I would have done it. Um, you know, overall, what I'll say about the guard was, uh, I have a lot of problems with the institution. I think mm -hmm. that there are a lot of problems with the, the concept of the national guard as it is today or then as it was then. Um, now the guard let's go ahead back up because i i'm not even clear about it i okay. i'm sure there if there's non-military listeners they're probably equally mm -hmm. so i was in the reserve mm -hmm. the Navy reserve but you were in the army national guard that's right now i know this may be totally pure billy bobism but i always had thought or heard that the national guard works for the governor of whatever state you're residing in Mm -hmm. or somehow 
or that, I think that's mostly true. Um, so the the guard, the national, <clears throat> any state's national guard, any any state's guard leadership is a a governor appointed. Um, they call them tags, but I don't know what that stands for. I don't know what the T stands for, but I think it's adjutant general. Yeah. I don't know. But they basically, the, the general in charge of a state's guard is someone who's appointed by the governor. They're okay. an asset of the state unless they're called up to federal service for whatever okay. reason. Right. So that's why if there's, you know, tornadoes, hurricanes, disaster right. response, you know, all that kind of stuff, the, the governor can call them up and do what they want. Um uh so so yeah that's that's how it works unless they're activated for for a deployment for for federal service the reserves the army reserves and i know i know almost nothing about them but they i believe they are still they are still federally controlled yeah you know soldiers um that's my understanding from the mm -hmm. navy side because i do Mm -hmm. know that side yeah you're working for the chain of command Mm -hmm. coming from the pentagon down yeah um, so, and, and the makeup is different. So the reserves is mostly like combat support. So mm-hmm. if you think about like in the army, you have combat arms, which is infantry field artillery, I, I think engineers or that. Um, so those type of folks, right. So combat you know, tr- troops who are intended to be like combat troops, then you have like combat support, which is like you know, the next rung down, like of immediate support. And then I think there's like combat service support. Again, I'm not an expert, forgive me. And those would be like the, the logisticians and like the fuel. I think like they would be combat service support, that type of stuff. Um, so the guard has, I think a mix of kind of everything, but it has deep, a decent number of com- combat, combat roles, right. infantry, all that type of field artillery. They, they've got all that kind of stuff. Um, special forces there are two like special forces groups that are in the guard um and then so but not in the reserves so when a time to get get out i kind of i did i thought that i wouldn't want to do the national guard i figured i could to be blunt i thought it'd be easier if i just went into a reserve gig i'm not quite sure why i thought that um but it was just easier for me to be you know an 11 bravo in the active army and then go to an 11 Bravo spot in the National Guard. It was just easier. I wouldn't have to retrain, wouldn't have to do anything like that. Um, so, so yeah, um, what was I going to say about that? So, yeah, you know, the, the problem, going back to what you just said, is that even though it's a state asset, they still have to abide by a lot of the federal requirements. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. and that was my biggest that's the, the biggest problem I saw with the National Guard is that, you know, folks mm-hmm. who are supposed to be one week in a month, two weeks out of the year, they, they appeared to be burdened with the same sort of bureaucratic requirements as an active duty unit, you know, PowerPoint, PowerPoint training. Yeah. And they, they, you got to get these certificates and you got to do these kind of layouts. You oh, do yeah. these. So and that and that was the biggest problem um that i saw so it's a lot of it's a lot of part-time leadership trying to fulfill full-time administrative requirements and then just a bunch of joes hanging out Mm -hmm. right just doing nothing drinking coffee um, doing nothing trying to figure out what's going on 
you had yeah. some folks with sort of tribal knowledge. Maybe they got in on a deployment somewhere. The unit mm-hmm. I went to, they hadn't been to any like, you know, this again, this was like 2010. They'd ne- at that point, they'd never gone to Iraq or Afghanistan. They, they got sent to like the Sinai. They got mm-hmm. sent to Kosovo, kind of like the back backwater sort of, you know, none of the hot places is where these folks got sent. Right. Um, and no fault of their own. I mean, it's no. just where this unit got sent. Right. Um, so that's kind of what I saw. Just and, and this unit, it was a mechanized infantry unit, too. So I was like sort of like a light, light infantry special operations dude. And this was a Bradley, (laughs) a Bradley company. Um, And that was the other thing. So it's like, how are you supposed to be proficient? You know, this idea, and sometimes there's pushback from guard folks on this, but the idea that, you know, part-timers can be as proficient as someone who's supposed to do it full time. I mean, there's a common sense test there that, there if it's if it happens it's the exception to the rule it's not the rule um um, and and then when you throw in things like tracked vehicles i'm like these guys are just sitting around all the time like how are they supposed to and and they need to know how to maintain bradley's like you know i'd been on strikers like i knew there's a lot to it right maintaining vehicles and, and knowing how to do this and that like so not um, and not to mention proficiency of operating yeah. that thing and training, training, training. Mm-hmm. To, yeah, that's a real problem. I think, as I see it in the reserves as well. Mm. And, um, and 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 the the requirements they put on the people. I want to say it before I get too much further, and I'll I'll expand on it later. The 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 shining, the bright shining light for the National Guard are the actual people that are in there. The people who volunteer, the people who are there trying their best. I, I think it's purely a structural problem yeah. with the National Guard. Um, I, I think that it's a, it's a misuse of the type of talent that is available to them. You mm-hmm. know, I'll get more into that. But, um, but, but yeah, so I didn't really need to worry about it. You know, it wasn't really my problem to fix. I was checked out like i was not there to be a soldier i was there to show up do do my time do my year and then go it was you know it it was like an additional prison sentence you know (laughs) so so um and there was a group of us um there was kind of like a like this little group of dudes who'd come from the active duty who who bought into the same you know scare tactic you know guy from guys from like the first infantry division the 82nd i remember 101st you know yeah like the small group you know of active duty guys who were just doing their time you know get their roller eyes about what was going on there in the armory um uh you know except for the rare occasion where we could be useful and impart some knowledge that we had you know not a motivated group I'll say that. Yeah. You know, not a motivated group of guys. This is a group of guys who are trying to leave, not not stick around for a career. So there's that other side to it too. Yeah. Um, but you know, the the type of <clears throat> folks that I saw there, it was just a really interesting mix of people, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like so you're in this infantry company, but you know, the platoon sergeant's like a professional engineer, right? And then like in a squad, you've got like two cops you know a SWAT guy a detective you know yeah. and then but then you've got like some 18 year old criminal 
yeah <laughs> it was in the same squad i remember we we're sitting around because you sit around a lot sitting around and this kid's talking about how he runs from the cops he's talking about like what he does when he he's got like one of those tricked out cars and and he likes to run from cops and like he's t- he's telling the story to a cop to, <laughs> to, to a cop. And, and, you know how much of that Excuse is me. just is just fooling around with the co- i don't know but i just thought it was funny it's just such an interesting mix yeah. of folks and right. but again it's such an underutilized resource i mean think about it like active duty you know spe- especially in special operations how many times do we send folks to school to build a diverse set of skills right yeah but it's yeah. like that's built into the national guard you know yeah. how great is it to have a guy in your squad who's a legit mechanic mm-hmm. A real mechanic. He didn't send him to some six-week school to, so he could get a nice certificate in his I Love Me book. He's a real mechanic. He does it every day. You know, his right. hand, you look at his hands and it proves it, right? You know, um, you know, lawyers, professors, yeah. just like such an under, underutilized resource. I, I don't know what the right thing would look like for the National Guard, but um, it's not what it is today. <clears throat> and And then after the fact, looking at, how how they've been i'm going to say it misused you know um uh really since 2020 just just sent all over the place doing goofball things um just yeah being pulled from their lives being pulled from at least on active duty that's what you're there to do right so if you get shipped off somewhere that was the plan but you know these folks this was not what they were expecting to spend most of the year activated and by the way then they do things like they'll activate you up to a certain point before they have to start paying you extra money mm-hmm. like they've, they've really just been it, their use has really been politicized and just abused mm-hmm. um so again i i have no love for the national guard but i got a lot of love for the people in the national yeah guard, you know? understood yeah but the, there's one other thing too and i mean here i am just throwing stuff out i'm not really sure but I've, I also, I think there's something, in fact, I know there's something to this, but I, I don't know, I don't want to speak like a legal person, expert or anything. Do it, let's do it. Yeah, there's, so there is some sort of, I think it's an act. And you hear again, I don't know law, so I don't know the categories, but I believe it, it's called Posse Comitatus Act. Mm-hmm. And that, it's an act that says the, the U.S. government the federal government cannot use active duty troops in law enforcement interventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may have not, they may have not abided by that in the past, but I think that there's a provision where another thing that the national guard can do is to be utilized to put down civil unrest or something like that, because mm-hmm. it's not the active duty military. They're working for the governor in some weird way. And so uh, if there is some big riot, like they did that a lot in the in the L.A. riots back in the early '90s, mm-hmm. Los Angeles riots, the yeah, Rodney I, King riots. I think they deputize them. I think mm-hmm. is what they end up doing. So yeah. they attach to you know whoever can deputize. I don't know how that works. Yeah, um, and that gives them that gives them. And then they're obvious when they do that. I know they're working very closely with law enforcement. That's right. Right. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know that they get arrest powers. Maybe the MPs might like just like you. I don't know what I'm talking yeah. about right now. Yeah. But but I think because we did once, I think once in that year that I was there, we did riot 
training. Um, yeah. I remember nothing about it other than <laughs> yeah. other than interlocking ballistic shields and just being like, wow, I'd really not like to be involved <laughs> yeah. in this. No just, because I always just think about that uh, police academy. When I think uh, about right be- before yeah. <laughs> before 2020 and after, like when I thought riots, like I was always just thinking about police academy place yeah movie um so um so yeah you know the thing about the guard and we're, we're wrapping up here but the thing about the guard for me was here's another thing it's supposed to be a weekend a month two weeks out of the year so that weekend you're like okay saturday sunday not always sometimes yeah they'll just throw in like nah you're gonna be here the monday you're gonna be here the friday um and that two weeks out of the year is okay it's actually three and a half weeks Mm-hmm. so there was a lot of stuff like that that really you know really bothered me you know mm-hmm. i felt like it, I'd, I'd been bamboozled yeah um but all the rest of these folks were going through it and um and for me um you know they i think one i was there for like two they call it annual training at those the two weeks out of the year i yeah. think one happened right about the time i first showed up and uh, the company commander was very laid back guy i was like and he was like a prior active dude too so i was like hey you know i'm in school i just started school i'm trying to blah blah blah, blah. he was like all right sure you can skip it right so you could skip it. but i couldn't get out of it the next time next yeah. next company commander he's like a brand new dude he's trying to like he's trying to make waves um yeah and then i got stuck down in hattiesburg mississippi for like three weeks um oh. in the middle of the summer session um uh training national guardsmen who are going to deploy so it could have been worse i was pretty salty about it but again um you know at least i wasn't deploying with them so um so yeah so by the time it by by the time it came around to leaving i was very happy to do so i never considered sticking around um and, and i was happy to go but that was my that was my national guard experience yeah, there's there's definitely when I get into some of serving in the reserves as a chaplain, it's a different world in some ways, but it's there's a lot of overlaps mm-hmm. about the mm-hmm. dysfunction and the the institutional dysfunction of just not you know, not not implementing, not utilizing people well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, and it's certainly changed because, you know, one thing I can say is is. You know, my my father was in the National Guard while he was back in school, by the way, in the same area where I was doing it. And then I got an uncle who was in the National Guard in the 50s. So um, so I know what the National Guard used to be about and what Mm -hmm. it's turned into. Um, And it's 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 definitely a more professional force. But I think there's a lot that they're. Uh, you, you know, I think when people were doing the math, I can see, I think you can see it in the recruiting numbers. People mm-hmm. were starting to look at what it's turned into and it doesn't make sense for them anymore, but uh, hopefully they figure that out. Hopefully. Um, so that's it. That's college. That's the national guard. That's all I've got to say about that. Um, so when we come back, um, I think we're going to talk about, I like to talk about my VA experience. I like to hear what you thought yeah. or, and or think about the VA Okay. Um, so uh, that's it for today. We appreciate you all listening. We'll catch you in the next one. Ciao.